Hi, and welcome to another Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you two sober chicks. So today is March 24th, and on yesterday's Shot Glass, I said I would be reading from the language of letting go, and I didn't lie to you, but I was reading something today that was so much better than I can ever imagine anything else being on this day that I thought I would share it with you. Um, Those of you that know me know that uh, I am in school right now pursuing my Master's of Divinity in Theological Studies because I am studying to be a pastor or minister or whatever you would call it. Um, And as a consequence of that, I have become obsessed with monastic orders. And I am doing a monastery jaunt, um, hopefully at the beginning of May. I hope the borders are open. And I'm supposed to be going to two Benedictine monasteries, one in uh, the middle of the New Mexico desert, one in Snowmass, Colorado, and the last one is a Trappist monastery, and that will be in Iowa before I make my way home. I also sit on the board of trustees for an um, Ignatian Jesuit spiritual retreat center called Manresa, and I have fallen in love with the Jesuits. And the Jesuits are an order of monks that are Ignatian or follow St. Ignatius's teachings. And so I'm reading a book to get myself more acquainted with the Jesuits. And it's by a gentleman named James Martin, SJ, which means Society of Jesus, where the Jesuits come from. It's called The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, Spirituality for Real Life. What I love about the Jesuits is, and this is a quote from his book, the Jesuits teach the world about the church and teach church about the world. They are my favorite monastic order because they're just the coolest. They're so worldly. They're these cool priests that often get together and drink whiskey and smoke cigars. And they're so smart and so studied. I just love them. They're the coolest and they're so compassionate and kind and patient. They're not the image of what you think a priest would be. So this book has been funny and enlightening. And by the way, um, I have, I spend a lot of money on books. And in this time of being isolated, I have realized what I really need and what has been excessive. And I have decided that I can buy as many books as I usually want to buy without having to spend tons and tons of money buying brand new books from online retailers. So I have found a, a book online book retailer called Abe Books, and it's a collection of used books for sale. And if you're in the U.S., good news, most of it's free shipping. So in most cases, I can find a used book that I can have delivered to a friend in America um, because shipping up here can get a little crazy in Canada. And for more than 50% usually less, sometimes almost 90% less. So that's just a little tip there. So in this Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything by James Martin, I'm reading in a chapter called Surrendering to the Future, which I think in our program a lot, it's about um, being in the moment and surrendering to the now. So immediately the title caught me. And I'm just going to read you some of the highlights that I'm absolutely loving. By the way, for those of you who are wondering, I'm almost better. Yay! I think you might be able to hear that in my voice as I'm sitting in my robe in my closet. All right. 
When it comes to daily life, God's will is not some abstract idea to be figured out or puzzled over or even discerned. God's will is what is presented before us every day. God's will for us is the 24 hours of each day, the people, the places, the circumstances he sets before us in that time. I mean... Could that be more relevant than what we're going to now? Uh, I think what is God's will for my life is a very daunting, huge question. But when I look at it as what is God's will for me right now, because there is always God's will for me right now. Today, for example, I'm taking a Sabbath. And what that means to me is I have shut off my phone. And I just do peaceful things that connect me to myself and connect me to God. One of them was sitting on the couch just now, drinking tea with the door open. It's sort of snowing here and reading this book. And all I kept thinking about was I have to share this. This stuff is so good. And so God's will for me in the moment could be, are you hungry? Eat. Are you tired? Sleep. Are you overwhelmed? Go somewhere and shut the door, even if it's in your closet and and get back to your childhood self make a little fort in your closet and get a snack and just hang out i'm gonna read some more okay so this section i absolutely love because now we're going to talk about the mystery of suffering which is a huge not only theological topic but human question And I love how he writes about this. He also writes about the damage that um, religious people can do in offering platitudes or little quips. Um, I have some of the most inappropriate advice I've ever heard from people, both religious and non-religious, has been around explaining suffering. And instead of being offended, I mean, I've heard horrible things from my friends, too, like when someone loses a child being told that, well, they have other children. Um, I have come to realize that people ultimately are very uncomfortable with loss and suffering. And the answers they give to you is, A, they really are trying to be helpful, but B, they're uncomfortable with their own views on suffering and their own questions and their own feelings. So what they're telling you is probably what they would tell themselves, because not many of us can sit with someone in suffering and not say anything. I happen to be very comfortable in dark situations and difficult situations. I have decided when um, I start living and working as a pastor or minister, I'm not going to do weddings, but I'm absolutely going to do funerals because I'm very comfortable with non-scripted events and I'm very comfortable just holding someone's hand and being with them in their suffering, which I love. I mean, to me, being at a funeral, it doesn't get more real than that. Um, Weddings to me are very easy to handle. I have an issue a lot with the weddings of our days, but that's my own opinion. But Uh, Suffering's hard. So he says, the mystery of suffering. Finding God in the midst of suffering. This raises an essential question in the spiritual life. Is there anything more spiritual than suffering? How do you find God in suffering? Why do we suffer? This immense question, why do we suffer, or the problem of evil, it's also known as, has bedeviled theologians, saints, mystics, all believers for thousands of years. How could a good God allow suffering? In the Old Testament, if you're a Christian, 
We see the Psalms of Lament, and in the book of Job, there's passages um, talking about the suffering of servant, sorry, in the book of Isaiah, about the suffering servant. Um, The book of Job has to do with suffering that is not understood, and we still don't know why God allows the devil to torment Job. And then if you look at the New Testament, there's the passion and death of Jesus. There's meditations on the meaning of the cross in St. John. That's from a strictly Christian perspective, which is what, really the only one that I feel well-versed enough to discuss. Um, as a, If you identify with a Christian, you know, we're often told that we participate in the life of Jesus. That's It enables us to do that. And that the Christ who understands suffering can be our companion. And that's all great and fine. But James Martin talks about it being at best they're wanting, at worst unhelpful to remind people of those things. Because Jesus himself in scripture rejects the notion of a God that punishes us for our sins. Um, And he also admits to the suffering of humanity. Um, People often talk about where is God in this? There's a book he recommends, which I think has got a great title by another Jesuit called Where the Hell is God? And he talks about the inexplicable suffering in his life and the meditations on it when his family loses. Actually, his family has a, a, a daughter who becomes quadriplegic and the mother's like, where the hell is God in this? And that spurned him on to write a book about that. So what James Martin does talk about is that we can't explain suffering, but he says this, that it's healthy to lament these things before God. It's done all through scripture and that it is mysterious, but we can still be in relationship with God through this and that suffering can open us up to new ways of experience God. Because when we are vulnerable, or we are poor in spirit, or when we are broken, we're often able to meet God in new ways, probably because we're vulnerable and our guard is down, but that's when we're most open to God's presence. And so some people with sort of an old version of what God is doesn't think that God can handle getting mad or threatening or any of those things. But the reality is God is gracious and kind and merciful, and he can handle those things. Um, I broke up with God one time in immense suffering about a year before I entered seminary. Um, I had gone for, and this is not a judgment, this is just my experience. I had gone for a Reiki treatment, and during the Reiki treatment, Um, I experienced severe pain in my head and I got off the table and I collapsed and I went home and I couldn't get out of bed for, it was over a week. I don't remember if it was two weeks. And I was assured by the person that did Reiki that this is normal and she had cleared ties with my mom and my ex-husband and you can go through a great cleansing. But what I was experiencing wasn't normal. And I had just enrolled to do sign language, which was a passion of my life. I thought I was going to be a sign language interpreter at that time. And so the symptoms of what this was mimicked um, severe Meniere's disease, which is a disease of the inner ear, which throws off your balance. So I could barely walk. Um, I could barely open my eyes. I spent a lot of time in the dark in bed. 
when I was so terribly disappointed because I was fulfilling a dream and sobriety of learning sign language, and now I couldn't go to school. And so the way I would get to school, because I'm a badass and I fucking push through everything, was I would wake up in the morning, I was a new believer, and believer, I mean Christian, and I would say, Jesus, please help me put my leg off the end of the bed. And I would very slowly do that. And then I'd say, Jesus, please let me put my other leg over the side of the bed. And I would do that. And then I would get to, Jesus, please let me put my foot on the floor. And this is how I did every step into getting in the shower, getting into my car. I should not have been driving. I couldn't check blind spots. Um, I was having massive anxiety. I would have to drive 40 minutes each way to school. Then I would have to sit five days a week through eight hours of school. And sometimes I would look at the clock and say, Jesus, please help me get through the next five minutes. And having almost no balance <clears throat> and having to do sign language, which it not does not only involve your hands, but involves your head a lot, was fucking torture. And my ears rang like you wouldn't believe. They, I, To this day, I still have uh, nerve damage, hearing loss, and tinnitus from that session, which I have all learned to live with and accept. Um, but in those beginning days, it took a long time. I mean, for me to be fully recovered, and that's a whole other story. And by fully recovered, I mean I still suffer with those things that you just heard about. But I don't have what I call attacks anymore, where I'm almost useless and down for um, hours, days, or weeks, those are gone. And um, through a process that I did called, not EMDR, I did that for trauma as well, um, limbic system reprogramming, DNRS, it's called dynamic neural reprocessing system. Um, so during that time, it was torture, and I felt abandoned by God. And I remember one night, sitting on the floor crying, because through this whole process for weeks and weeks and weeks, I've been crying out to God, asking for a miracle, asking for healing, asking him to speak to me, uh, wondering why I'm such a good girl, God, like I'm doing everything you want me to do. And I serve others and I'm sober and just crying out to God, like a little girl cries out to their daddy, like, please help me, please help me, please help me. And he didn't. And I basically, no, I actually said, fuck you you are not helping me. I want nothing to do with you anymore. And I broke up with him. And what that looked like for me was I stopped going to church. I wouldn't listen to worship. If I heard a worship song come on the radio or be shuffling on my iPhone, I would say out loud, nope. And I would turn it off. I had a person in the program ask me how my program was going lately. And I told them what had happened, that I'm not praying, that I'm not doing anything. And he said, how's that working for you? And I said, not good. That was the absolute worst time in my life. That was the time that I c considered committing suicide. And it was both because of my suffering and because of, I felt abandoned by God. And I considered suicide and it was only a moment. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to jump off the balcony or I'll just take pills. And then I remembered that I couldn't do it because of my family. It wasn't because of any other reason. I thought I would make my family suffer way too much. So I decided at that moment that I had to live and that I had to just move forward with God because the darkness of being separated from him due to my own will was actually worse for me than the feeling of him being abandoned 
the, the feeling of me being abandoned by him. Now, what scared me most about that is when I decided to get back together with him, I felt like our relationship was not the same. And it took me months for me to get back to that tender, gentle, kind, sweet relationship that I remember. And that scared me enough to know that I never want to do that with him again because I can't survive without him. And what I have with him is so precious. And where I went after that was I started to feel like a spoiled brat because I looked at him not answering these prayers. But then I looked back to I got sober because he helped me. And I navigated a very difficult emotional time in my divorce and came out okay. And I looked at my whole life. I, I was not abused in any way as a child. Um, I was afforded the ability to go to school, uh, just like a myriad of blessings, the best friends that came into my life. The fact that I recovered from a horrific accident where I shouldn't have been walking my... It was that's also another story which you probably have heard of if you listen to the Two Sober Chicks podcast. And um, the fact that I was married at one point, and a lot of people don't get that blessing. The fact that I got to see beautiful things and travel, that I have all of my senses, that I have all of my body parts, that if I ever wanted children, my body is able to carry and birth children, that I have beautiful hair. Like I looked at all of these blessings and thought, I was being a damn spoiled brat because he didn't answer this one prayer. And yes, it was a big prayer. And yes, to this day, if you took those things away from me, God, I would be very happy indeed. Tinnitus is no joke. So in those things, I have realized that we all have our own perspectives of suffering And I now see how little I suffer to most of the world, what I have been through. And it's not diminishing my own suffering. I don't believe in diminishing anyone's suffering because each person handles suffering differently. But how you suffer depends specifically on what your personal perspective of suffering is. And I am able to, quote unquote, suffer well now because of my perspective of suffering. So... In this book that this man, um, Richard Leonard, writes about where the hell is God, he answers his mother who says, where the hell is God, by saying to her, I think God is devastated, like the God who groans with loss in Isaiah, like Jesus who weeps at his best friend's tomb. God is not standing outside our pain, but is a companion within it, holding us in his arms and sharing our grief and pain. One of the things that I like to do when I'm feeling almost undone with suffering and sorrow is I imagine myself sitting in God's lap and him holding me like you would hold a baby and just letting myself cry into his shoulder and feeling his love and his arms around me. It's very healing for me um, as an adult and as a ch- my child self. So th- this is another thing I love that uh, Richard said is that we have to have a hard look at the reality of suffering. And we can't do that unless we have our own long struggle in suffering. 
And then we engage in intelligent discussion about the complexities of where and how the divine presence fits into our fragile and human world. Our world is very fragile. I think we look at it a lot as we struggle against the world or there's all this resistance and offense and anger and violence. But when we soften to how fragile the world is and how fragile we are as people, I think we're better able to walk through in softness. So basically, if we don't confront pain and loss honestly with God, we can't really experience it. And one of the best things I learned in learning about spiritual direction, and a spiritual director director just basically asks you where God is in all things, is where is God in this? And I think if you look, and we're so lucky with our program because we're often asked to look and listen for the will of God. I don't see how I can never find one example or one little iota of God in every situation and how he accompanies me in my pain. So I feel very fed and nourished by that reading today. It's helped me come down and ground myself a little more, which is nice because yesterday we talked about or I talked about boundaries. Oh, boundaries. Boundaries keep us safe. Walls keep people out. So um, I wish you a beautiful day of sitting in whatever God's will is for you. If you need help or support, please don't hesitate to reach out to Lisa or myself on our email to soberchicks at gmail.com or DM us, slide into our DMs on Instagram or Twitter under the same username or handle, and I will speak with you tomorrow.